Praise the Lord. Well, I tell you, I have been super blessed by everything. I hope that you have. I tell you, God has just put together a group of people here. It's just supernatural what God's doing, and I'm really excited about it and hope that you are and, and uh, pray that God's speaking to you about what your future is going to be and hope CBC's in it. Well, Barry's already preached my message this morning, so he got up first. You know, I'm going to assume that God spoke to him and me both to minister on this, and so I'm going to minister on the same thing. Use the same scriptures. How's that? It'll come out different. It's, it's different, but you can look at it this way. The reason I, I usually never know what I'm going to minister before I get up, and if God shows me in advance what to minister on, it's because something would have happened that would have made me not minister on that. And so I'm going to assume that that's why I felt impressed to minister on 2 Timothy chapter 2 is because Barry was going to minister on it and I would have changed. But the Lord told me in advance, so I'd go ahead and do it. So uh, anyway, I want to share with you the exact same thing Barry preached to you. I thought he did an awesome job. He does a, he's very, very, very good. In a sense, I hate to minister on this lest you compare me to him, but I'm secure, amen, so no problem. So here, 2 Timothy chapter 2. These are the verses that the Lord gave me, I couldn't tell you, but 20, 30 years ago and told me that I needed to start discipling people. What I was teaching on last night, these are verses that have just burned on the inside of me. And I actually had a man one time who wrote me a letter. This has been probably... I couldn't tell you for sure, but it's, it's over 20 years, maybe 25 years ago. And he wrote me a letter and says, God told me that you're supposed to be my mentor and I want to come and sit under you and receive. And I left that letter on my desk for, I think it was seven years. And I left it sitting right there. And every time I'd sit down, I'd say, God, how do I do this? Because I couldn't have this guy come live with me. And I was raising a family, and I had more than enough to do, and we were traveling, and I'm not even sure if I ever responded to him. I don't know, remember what I did. He was from Louisiana. If you're here, sorry. <laughs> but I left that letter on my desk for seven years praying about, God, how do I do this? What do I do? And when the Lord finally spoke to me, I'm not sure it's when he finally spoke to me, but when I finally heard him speaking to me, in the summer of 1993 that I was supposed to start a Bible school. These are immediately the scriptures that I went to. And this is what we base this whole Bible college on is Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. And it says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And of course, Barry's already ministered on all this. So hopefully just take what he said and take what I've said and put them together and it'll give you an expanded view on the whole thing. But the Lord really spoke to me that the only way you're ever going to be strong in the Lord is to understand the grace of God. If you try and base what you do, either your personal relationship with God or the way that God uses you to minister to other people upon your own effort and on who you are, you are eventually going to fail. Some people have more natural strength than others, but I can guarantee you every person just comes to the end of themselves. God is going to call you to do something, whether it's what I'm doing standing in front of people or whether it's behind the scene like Stephen is doing. If it's whatever, God is going to call you to do something that's bigger than yourself. 
If it's something that you can do without God, then I doubt that it's God who called you to do it. God will call you to do something supernatural. He's always stretching us. There's always more potential in us than what we have. And I believe that the reason that people burn out is because they are doing things in their own strength. Uh, we had James Dobson here in Colorado Springs give out this stat that 80% of ministers quit within five years. And of the 20% that remain, 80% are burned out and ready to quit are just totally ineffective. What that means, you add all this together, there are 4% of ministers who last longer than five years and still happy about it and rejoicing in the Lord and being productive. 4%. Did you know ministry is a hard thing? Not only do you have the dynamics of people that come against you in things like this, but you've got the devil. The moment you say that God has called you to do something, I guarantee you, you just drew a huge target on your back. And you are going to have Satan fight you tooth and toenail. And so there's a very few ministers that really ever become successful and, and continue and are enjoying it and seeing God use them. And you know the reason? Because they aren't strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are preaching, there's a scripture. I'd have to look this up right now. I think it's in um, the book of Romans. But anyway, I'd, I'd be wrong if I tried to quote it. But it says something to the effect that those who trouble you, and he was talking about preaching the grace of God and those who are condemning you and, and preaching legalism, it says, whoever troubles you will bear his own judgment, whosoever he be. And this is something that I've learned, that when you are hard and mean in condemning other people and preaching that you've got to do all of these things right or God won't bless you, if that's what you minister, you reap what you sow. And sad to say, the vast majority of ministers today are preaching a standard and saying that God won't bless you unless you do all of these things. And by doing that, they're digging themselves a hole. You are going to wear out if you do it in your own strength. This says that you have to be strong in the grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that, that, uh, we could spend a lot of time, but the main scriptures that the Lord spoke to me is verse 2. It says, In the things that thou hast heard... Of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And you know, this is what we're looking for. I believe that this is what God is looking for. He's not looking for the most talented people. He's looking for faithful people. And you know, this really ministered to me and blessed me because when the Lord first called me, I'd never been anything but average in anything that I ever did. You know, I was, I was never the worst. I was never the best. When you pick teams, you know, when you were a kid, I was never the first person picked. I was never the last person picked. I was just average in everything I did. I was okay. I was on the football team. I was uh, the center on the football team. And I remember during the divisional playoffs, we were stuck on like the four-yard line and had to punt. So it was a short uh, deal. He wasn't the normal 15 yards back. He was only 12 yards back. And I centered the ball right over his head. They recovered it. We lost the divisional playoffs, and I was the goat of the whole deal. <laughs> that was exciting. <laughs> and you know what? I just never was the worst or the best at anything. And, um, boy, when God called me to the ministry, I was just trying to wrap my brain around, God, how do I do this? And I was trying to do it in my own person, in my own personality. And it's a long story, but the Lord finally got across to me 
that he chose the weak things of the world, base things of the world, things that are despised, things that are nothing to bring to naught, things that are. And I thought, man, I qualify on every one of those counts. I, God could use me. And I really started believing that God would use me in spite of who I was, not because of who I was. And the thing that God is looking for is faithfulness, which is something that I don't care what your talent level is, what your intellect is, any person, any person can choose to be faithful. They can make themselves a living sacrifice. These are the verses that actually changed my life is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I got this in December of 1967. And it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And the Lord spoke a lot to me through that, but he basically told me that finding God's perfect will for your life, if you just back up, that's the last of the second verse. That's the goal. That's what most people want. But the way you get there is by, first of all, being a living sacrifice. Man, I could preach on that forever. Second thing, renewing your mind, being transformed through the renewing of your mind. And basically, it's just commitment. He told me that he's not looking for a silver vessel, but a surrendered vessel. Did you know a person who's committed to God and yielded to God will wind up doing a lot more than a person who's got all of these natural talents and abilities and yet depends upon themselves? In a way, actually, people that are super talented are at a, at a disadvantage. And I know some of you think, no, it's the opposite. But it, it's really not. Because when you, are, when you have nothing and you know that you're nothing special, then you know what? It makes you depend upon God. But the people who've got all these talents, it's like, God, you just get me introduced. You get me on the stage, and I can handle it from here. No wonder you chose me. What great wisdom. I can see the wisdom of it. Boy, you are, you are so blessed to have me on your team. Did you know what? That is Satan's inroad into your life. And when you come to the end of yourself is when you find God. So God is looking for faithful men and women. Bob Yandian, who's one of our instructors in the school, he pastors a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma of over, I don't know, two, 3,000 people. And Bob Yandian had been trying to get a Christian bookstore going and he had had people uh, that he hired in there and they didn't have the administrative skills and they'd mess up and things weren't working and it just wasn't working. He was about ready to shut it down and he was in the uh, auditorium praying on a Saturday before the Sunday service and saying, and this was one of the things that was on his mind. He's saying, God, I need somebody to run this. And he had sent people to these classes where you learn administrative things and all these things and nothing had ever worked. And as he was praying about it, the Lord showed him a woman that was way out in the back part of the church and she came in every Saturday and she was there and she just went over every chair and prayed over every chair and just prayed for the people. And she was just a volunteer. And she just came in and did this every Saturday. And the Lord spoke to her and he says, that woman right there is the one to run your Bible school. And he says, but she doesn't even have a job. She's never run anything in her life. She doesn't have any training. She doesn't have anything. And he says, you know what? You can teach them the physical things that you need. But faithfulness is something that you can't teach a person. They have to choose that. It has to be just a part of them. And he put her in and she's been running the bookstore forever and just does a great job. And God did awesome things. 
So the Lord said that he commit these things to faithful men and women. And brothers and sisters, God is looking for faithful men and women. If you feel like you aren't the most talented or whatever, that's not the priority. It's like uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. If God was putting out a uh, you know, job listing, help wanted, inquire within, and you look to see what the qualifications are, it says, are you base? Are you despised? Are you weak? Are you nothing? Apply within. That's what it says over there in 1 Corinthians 1, 26. God isn't... Really, the Lord is looking for somebody that when He uses you, He gets the credit instead of you getting the credit. You know, if you took your car in to get worked on and if they had one of these things that you just plug it into a machine and that machine fix it, everybody would leave there talking about the machine. But if you take it out to some guy with just a wrench underneath some tree someplace and he can fix anything that's wrong with your car, you'd leave that place talking about, man, what a mechanic that is. And God is wanting people to glorify him for using you instead of glorifying you. So I'm saying all of these things that we are looking for faithful men and women, people that will just commit themselves and yield to the Lord and let God do something supernatural in them. Some of the people that we support, friends of mine for 30 years over in Kenya, their slogan of their ministry is ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. And they're just doing awesome things. They've adopted, I don't know, five or six kids. They have 15 Bible studies, I mean Bible schools scattered around Kenya and are just doing awesome things. And the woman had, uh, what was it? It was cerebral palsy, I think. And anyway, she's supernaturally recovered from it, but she still has some of those effects, talks a little different, has trouble walking, and they've been over on the mission field for 10 years just changing lives. They're just ordinary people. There's nothing special. Nobody looks at them and thinks, boy, look at these people. And yet there's going to be people in heaven because of what they've done. God's wanting people. We're looking for faithful men and women that we can commit this message to that will go out and reproduce it. And again, you don't have to be the one that's behind the pulpit, but God's looking for people who would take their giftings, their talents, whatever it is that God has called you to do, and you would use it to further the gospel. And then he uses these three examples, as Barry was talking about, in verse uh, 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I think there's two things here. He's not only saying that this is things that you need to put into other people, but to Timothy, Timothy needed to endure hardness as a good soldier. You know, you can't, you can't give to another person what you don't have. And one of the things about our school, Barry and every one of our instructors and everybody here, these are people that have lived things. They are living what they're teaching. At one time, I haven't done this recently, but we added up the cumulative number of years that we had been in the ministry. And this is back in the very beginning when we started the Bible school. And it was like 150 or 200 years worth of experience. Now, we'd probably be closer to 300 or 400 years worth of experience in the ministry. And you know what? These people are people who have endured hardship. And so you can learn a lot by looking at the people who minister, just the things that they've been through. We don't have novices that are teaching. 
We've got people that have been experiencing things and that you're seeing the power of God operate in their life. So he's telling Timothy to endure hardness. Likewise, the people that we minister to, this is one of the things that I believe that we need to say to people is that you need to endure hardness as a good soldier. Barry talked about uh, one of the things about a soldier is separation. I agree 100%. I would also say another thing about a soldier is that you lose your identity. You know, when I got drafted and sent to Vietnam, they called us GIs. You know what that stands for? Government issue. That's why you call them GIs, because you are government issue. And this may not bless some of you, and I don't know if they do it this way now, but when we got drafted, they sent us to the AFES building in Dallas, and this is back during the height of the Vietnam War. They were just cranking people through. They were running us through like cattle. And they had us stripped naked. I mean, you didn't have anything but a smile on. That's it. <laughs> and we walked three and four stories all over that building, went and got checked here and done here, and they shaved our hair off. And it was funny. We had some people, some of these guys that were like gangsters. And that, you know, I, I, was, I went in, and, man, I didn't know what was happening, and I was intimidated. I was an introvert in the first place. And... Uh, I was there, and most people were like that, but there were some guys that were like gangsters. They had on all of the clothes. They had on all of the jewelry. I remember these couple of guys had a big old afro. I mean, it was out like this. And they just had an attitude, and they portrayed it to everybody. And they stripped all our clothes off, ran us through a barber, shaved their heads totally bare, and it was just like Samson. They lost all of their power, all of their... <laughs> They were just the same as anybody else. You, you lost your identity. There wasn't a single thing that identified you. You had nothing to project anything. We were, you know, when you're naked, you're all the same. And then they start giving you clothes back, and they gave you OD underwear, socks, clothes. Everything was exactly the same. And... They may not have done this to everybody, but to us, they put us in cattle trucks. They were actual cattle trucks. You know, you see these 18-wheelers with the holes drilled in it? They were cattle trucks, and we stood up and rode from Dallas to El Paso, 10 hours or something, in a cattle truck like cattle. We were mooing. And they stick, I mean, you lost everything that you ever had. And they make you over in their image, and you become a GI. And, you know, this is one thing I believe that is a quality of being faithful is that many of us have had all of these things in our background that we hold dear to us and we hold on to these things. But really, when we come to the Lord, we just need to lose that identity. You need to become a brand new person. You have on the inside, but the problem is that with most people, it's something that's a reality in their spirit, but they still hold on to all of these things about who you were and stuff. Barry referred to this, that man, when he got touched in senior year of college, he just separated from everything. He changed his mind. The exact same thing happened to me. I was in my first year of college. I never even finished one year of college. And God touched my life, and I guarantee you, I just became an absolutely different person. Everything that was dear to me, I gave it up. I gave up everything. And I became a brand new person. I met a woman here this week, or I'm not sure if it was here, but anyway, a woman named uh, Victory. 
And I said, man, what a great name. I said, your parents must have known the Lord. And she said, no, that's not my given name. She says, it's because of my background. I figured I needed to change my name. And she adopted the name, Victory. And you know what? That happened a lot in the Bible. Saul became Paul. People changed their names. There needs to be an identity change. And the problem is many of us let what's happened in the past hold us back. And because you failed in some area and because this hasn't worked, you bring that in to your relationship with the Lord. But the truth is that in the Spirit, you're a brand new person. And you need to be like a soldier that, you know what, your past life, it's over. You're just new. There needs to be an identity change. You need to become a government issue in the sight of God. You need to be a person that, you know, who I was, my dreams, my visions, my goals, these things are just over. That God has a a priority on my life. You know, another thing about a soldier is that a soldier still has things. Matter of fact, it says down here, In the fourth verse, it says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. When you're a soldier, did you know soldiers still are married? They have wives and children, and they have cars, and they have houses, but a soldier has a priority given to the country that they serve, and if they call up and tell you that you're supposed to go to Afghanistan or Iran or wherever it is. Did you know that these people leave their wives, their children? I've known some people that their wife was pregnant and they never even got to see their child born. They were on a foreign field someplace. Man, what an imposition. What a hardship. And yet, a soldier has a priority. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have the same things that other people have, but he doesn't hold them the same way. He's got a priority above this. And, you know, this is something that we're looking for. People, it's not that you can't have a wife and children and a house and a car and be blessed and have things, but God is looking for people who would put their commitment to him above anything that they own. And if God was to ask you, would you go to China and help Andrew train 200,000 pastors that are crying out to hear about the grace of God? God's looking for somebody who, if he asked you to do it, you'd be gone in a heartbeat. And you know what? Most people don't live that way. Most people haven't even put these kind of things on the table. They put limits on how far they'll go with God. You know, Jamie and I knew that we were called to the ministry, and we didn't know exactly what kind of ministry it was. We just knew we were going to tell everybody we could tell about the gospel. And when we started, we started in Bible studies. And then a Bible study turned into a church. I didn't want it to be a church. And they said, you can call it whatever you want to. We are, we've quit the other churches. This is where we're going. We're paying our tithes, and we're calling you pastor. And I became a pastor by default. <laughs> I didn't want to be a pastor, but I spent six years being a pastor. But did you know, even during that period of time, we knew that there was just something more. We were doing what we knew to do, but I knew that God was going to do something else. I didn't know what it was. And so because of it, we went, uh, I don't know, 15 or 20 years and never bought a house. We rented. And everybody told us, you're crazy. You're just throwing this money away. You ought to buy a house and get some equity in it and stuff. But you know, the reason that we didn't do it is because of this very verse that no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. And Jamie and I just made a decision. If Father, I don't, if you tell us to go someplace, we're gone. Man, we can give a two weeks notice. We can gone before, be gone before the two weeks is up. 
but we're out of here and we just refuse to become entangled with the affairs of this life. I remember when we finally moved here and the Lord showed me that I was going to stay here and that this, uh, he told me I could live anywhere I wanted to. See, every, every time before, he would tell me to move to a certain place. And when he, this last time, he told me uh, I was going to move and I knew for a, uh, nearly a year that I was going to move and I was praying about, God, where am I going? And finally, he got it through to me that you can go anywhere you want to. You aren't going to be ministering in just one local place. You are going to be traveling, and so you can live anywhere you want to. And when he told me that, I've always wanted to live in Colorado. I love this area. I actually would have liked to have been further up in the mountains, but I knew I had to travel and get out, and so I chose Colorado Springs, and we live uh, 42 miles from here up into the mountains. And uh, when, when we got here, the Lord says, you can buy a house now because you're going to be here forever. So we finally bought a house, and praise God, it's paid for. Thank you, Jesus, and everything's good. But anyway, my point is that we never got entangled with the affairs of this life because of this very thing, that if God called me to go to the other side of the world, the moment I knew that it was Him, man, it was just as fast as I could pack my stuff and put it in the car, I was gone. We've lived our life that way. And you know what? Most people are so entangled. I have people tell me that, well, God told them to come here, but they got so much debt. They got so many things that they're involved with that they can't do what God told them to do. Did you know that that is not being faithful? Now, once God tells you this is what you're going to do, and if you've got a word from God, it's all right. Put down your roots and stuff. But I'm saying... Many people are living a life that isn't conducive to God speaking to them and using them. One of the qualifications, one of the characteristics of a soldier is that they have things, but they've always got a greater commitment to the service, the uh, country that they're serving. And if, if the country calls on them, they will leave their wife, their children, their houses, their jobs. How many people were in the uh, National Guard and things like this that got called up and they had professions. They were doctors and lawyers and things like this. And yet when they got called up, they just left it all. It's not always pleasant. But you know what? This is one of the things about faithfulness. You've got to learn that there's something bigger than you and bigger than your personal plans. And the people we're looking for are people that would be willing to literally lay their life down and say, God, I'll give up anything. I've had people before say that God told me to come to school, but I'm only about five years away from retirement, and I've got a pension, and man, I'll get so much more money if I'll just wait another five years. And I understand the logic. I'm not condemning you, but you know what? God knew all of that when he told you now. <laughs> Why didn't the Lord wait five years? If he spoke to you now, it's because God is calling you now. And I've had people, before, but look what I'd give up. Well, you know, that's, that's not being a faithful person. I've li I could spend a lot of time giving you examples, but Jamie and I literally have made decisions that look like it was the death knell for us that we would never survive this. We've done it, and God has taken care of us. We are so much better off than if we would have stuck with our own plans. I'm telling you, if God is speaking to you, you just need to be faithful and say, God, I'll do it. I don't care what the costs are. I don't care what the consequences are. So many people say, well, yeah, God's telling me, but I just don't relate to that. If God is speaking to you, just do it. 
And this is one of the things you learn in the Army, is you just learn to obey. Matter of fact, when I got drafted again, some of you are going to think, I'm lying about this stuff, but it's the truth. And we, it was during the height of the Vietnam War, and I mean, uh, there was 55,000 people killed in Vietnam. And it was, there, it was dangerous, and there was a lot of things happening. And when I got drafted, uh, it was tough. They had one of the guys in our unit that was drafted and had a club foot. And somehow or another, that got missed in the draft thing. But he got drafted, he left, his family and friends threw him a party. And so when he got to basic and they found out he's a club foot, they, they offered him the opportunity to get out of the Army. And he said, nope, because, you know, they had already sent him off and he was like the hero. And, and so anyway, he stayed in there and he couldn't do all of the physical training that everybody else did. And the drill sergeant just ragged on him and asked for volunteers. And he got five or six guys and he said, every time this guy slows down, you kick him, you hit him. And he made an example out of him, and they killed the guy. They kicked him to death. He died in our basic training, Fort Bliss, uh, Texas. We had race riots. It was terrible, the race riots. We saw, we saw four or five people in my 200 quadrangle that were killed through race riots, and it was a dangerous stuff. I was the only white guy that survived one night. It's a long story, and that's off the subject, but it was a miracle how God spared my life. Everybody else went to the infirmary. And uh, it was just a bad time. And I mean, these drill sergeants were mean and did things. They took this one guy who had real bad acne, and they had us standing at attention at 5 o'clock in the morning, and we were supposed to have already shaved and done all of this. And this one guy, he tried to shave, but around his zits on his face, there was hair around it. He didn't shave well, and that drill sergeant cussed him out, yelled at him, said, go get your razor. And he went and got his razor, and he made him dry shave, standing at attention. And the guy started cutting these things, and he was bleeding, had blood dripping down on him, and he says, it must be dull. And he rubbed it on the cement and made him shave. And this guy was rushed to the infirmary because of a loss of blood. They were mean. It was terrible. It was a terrible, terrible time. I know some of you think I'm lying, but honest to God, this happened. And I got one of those drill sergeants on a weekend when other people were gone, and I said, why are you doing this stuff? I said, it's just, I said, it's pointless. It's mean. It's terrible, the stuff that you do. And this guy opened up, and he said, you guys are a bunch of wimps. You're mama's boys. And we're sending you to Vietnam, and if I don't toughen you up and get you tough, you are going to die. He says, you may not realize it, but I'm trying to save your life. And, you know, people would... Our society has just become so soft today that stuff like this, people think, oh, this is wrong. And I bet you in the military today, if you were to do stuff like that, somebody would sue them and you'd never get by with it. But I'm saying that this is the way it was in 1969 when I was drafted. And the purpose of it was to try and get you so you could endure hardship and so that you would just follow orders. And this guy told me, he says, you're a whole bunch of individuals and we got to take away your individuality and your personality so that when your lieutenant says, charge and move towards this hill, that he doesn't have 200 people sit there and say, well, I don't think that's a good idea. Let's do this. 
He says that lieutenant is getting information that nobody else knows and he hadn't got time to sit down and explain it and talk to you and get everybody on his side and take a vote. You've got to, it, your life could depend on whether or not you learn to follow orders. And they just sat there and took away your individuality that you would follow orders that you would cease to be your own person, make your own decisions, and that you would follow orders. And again, this can be abused, and of course there's examples of people that have abused this, but I'm saying that this is what the military does, and I think that this is part of being faithful, is that you quit being just your own person. And God, I know that this is what you're telling me to do, but you know what? It's only three years until I've got full retirement. It's only, I've, you know, I could do this, I could compromise. I can do it this way. That's not what God's looking for. He's looking for people that would be so sold out to him as a living sacrifice that God could tell you to move to India like he did Jeff and Autumn, and you just do it. I tell you, some of these testimonies that we've heard of people that on their honeymoon buy a ticket to India, who does stuff like this? It's people that are sold out to God, and you know what? That's how God worked all of these things, and now it's coming back to their benefit. If they hadn't have done that, and if they hadn't have been faithful in doing these things, the other doors wouldn't have opened up. And you just got to get to where you obey orders, to where you recognize that there's only one God, you are not Him, and whatever God says, that's what you will do. You don't lean under your own understanding. In all of your ways, you acknowledge Him, and if you do that, He will direct your paths. And I know that this is scary to people. It's scary when you th start thinking about, I'm turning my life over to God. God's liable to send me to Africa. He might. But if he does, you'd love it. God will put his desires in your heart. God will probably ask you to do something that you wouldn't have done on your own, but I guarantee you in the end results, you'll be a thousand times better off for it. And you know, another thing about being a soldier is that you just learned not to indulge your feelings, not to vent all of these things. Again, I, I'm saying some of these things, especially some of the younger people. I, I don't know that they've ever been exposed to this. But when you're in battle, when you're in combat, you don't sit around and talk about, do you miss your family? <laughs> How do you feel today? You know, this is, this is my opinion. Some of you are going to dislike this, but this is my opinion. I think this is one of the reasons that women in combat's a bad idea. Many ideas, many reasons for it, just the sexual things and all of this. Men prefer women, and a man would put his life at risk for a woman where he might not do it for another man. There's a lot of disadvantages to it, but one of them is that women are just more emotional, more in touch with themselves, and... When I was in Vietnam, there was never, ever, ever that we sat around and says, are you lonely? <laughs> How do you feel? If somebody would have done that, you would have been laughed into humiliation. We never did that. All of us felt lonely. All of us wanted to be home. All of us felt like crying. But you know what? You didn't do it. You just sucked it up and you didn't do it and you didn't talk about it. And you didn't indulge your emotions. You know, I saw this show, Saving Private Ryan. And I thought it was a good show. I mean, it was gory and it was bad in a lot of ways. But we need to know what price has been paid for us to be 
have the freedoms that we got. So I think it was a good show. But one of the things I disagreed with is after they landed on, on the beaches of Normandy and they started walking through the fields of France and they were just talking about, do you miss your family? Do you ever think about your wife and kids? And, they, and I can guarantee you that is not the way it is in combat. I talked to a couple of you guys that were in Vietnam, and in, did anybody just sit there and talk about how lonely you were and how hurt you were? You didn't do stuff like that. That was considered unmanly. It was, it's not like being a good soldier. You aren't enduring hardship when you sit there and talk about all of this stuff. And again, our society has gone just the opposite direction to where we've been told to indulge everything. I'm not saying that you deny feelings. You don't deny that they exist. But I am going to deny my feelings to dominate me and keep me from doing what God called me to do. And one of the things about being a faithful soldier is that you just need to toughen up. I think that was God saying, pull your thumb out of your mouth. Amen. <laughs> he used my voice, but that was God. We just need to toughen up. I can guarantee you there's been lots of times that Jamie and I, we would have quit except we didn't know where to go. We burned all our bridges behind us. There was nowhere to go. We couldn't retreat. We were so far out on a limb that it was easier to fall than it was to climb back. And you know what? You just need to get to a place where you are absolutely committed and you endure hardness as a good soldier. It's not all, following the Lord is not the easiest. I think it was Daniel this morning. I really like that, that entering into the Lord. How did you say that about entering into the rest of the Lord? Yeah, he said either you'll labor entering into the rest of the Lord or you'll labor at everything else. You know what? There is labor to follow the Lord and to be a good soldier. But I guarantee it, in my estimation, it's not it's not any worse. I think it's easier than serving the devil. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Man, I have so much joy. I have so much peace. I've got a lot of things. I've got meetings all afternoon. I wanted to be in the healing school, and we've got so many things I'm dealing with. You know, there's, there's effort to doing things. And there's times that you just have to endure, and you have to do it. I heard a story one time about a man who just told his wife, I'm not going to church today. I refuse to go. And she says, you've got to go. You can't skip church. And he says, I can too. I'm not going. And anyway, this argument went back and forth. And he says, give me a good reason why I should go. And she says, well, you're the pastor. And you know what? There's times that I don't feel like ministering. There's times that I don't feel like doing things. And yet you just do it because it's what God called you to do. And you draw on it and God gives you supernatural strength. And I'm saying this in love, brothers and sisters, but our society has had more impact and effect on us than what most of us would like to admit. And we have a generation of wimps. Absolute wimps, people that couldn't do things. I tell you, the World War II generation, they called it the greatest generation. I think in a lot of ways that is absolutely true. Those people sacrificed themselves. I remember my niece, who is probably 20 years younger than me, when she went and saw Saving Private Ryan, her response was she was in high school at the time, 
And she walked out of there and she says, I don't know one boy in my high school who would give his life like those people did on Normandy. I'm sure that there are, but I'm just saying that we have an entire generation that it's all about me. It's the me generation. It's all about take care of yourself. Our kids cry if they don't get the, the, uh, the uh, shoes that when you walk, they light up. I mean, they're neglected. They're stressed out because they haven't got the latest video game and stuff. And there's just so many pressures on our kids today. Oh, give me a break. A friend of mine in England, he was taken from his family at four years of age and put in a field with tents with a hundred other kids for four years during the bombing of London. And for four years, he didn't have a parent. He was there with a hundred other kids. He was about four or five years old and spent four years like that. Now, that's a little bit of pressure. But not having designer jeans... These kids are talking about somebody bullied me. And so that justifies them committing suicide. And so we say, we've got to end all of the bullying. Man, I was bullied. I was beat up. I had things happen to me and I never committed suicide. My brother was beat up so bad that I remember my mother saying, don't you do a thing. You go tell somebody. And my dad says, you take care of it. He says, I don't care how you take care of it. You just don't let, they can't do that unless you give in to them and one day we couldn't find my brother. We looked everywhere. And so we just started home. And underneath the bridge, my brother was standing there with a brick in each hand. Two people laying on the ground and two running across the field. That's the way we took care of bullying. I'll probably get some comments out of that. But you know what? We just got a bunch of wimps today that somebody said something about me. You're going to have to get stronger than that. You aren't going to make it. And I tell you, I know that God is speaking to some of you, and there are a thousand different reasons why you shouldn't be doing all of these things. But you know what? If God has spoken to you, then you need to act like a soldier that, well, it's really not my choice. I have submitted myself. He's my commander-in-chief. If this is what he's telling me to do, you just man up, and you do it. And if it causes some hardships and if you lose your place on the beach that you just thought you'd never leave in your life, you just do it. What is God telling you to do? I encourage you to become a faithful man or a woman and just live up to it. And there's some things worth dying for. There's some things worth suffering for. There's some things bigger than you. Amen? Praise God. I think your message was a lot more positive than mine, Barry. <laughs> I didn't get very far. But anyway, it was the same, but it was different. But it's the same thing. You need to do what God's telling you to do. Father, I just pray for all my brothers and sisters, and I'm asking that they would hear clearly, and that, Father, we would become faithful. We would endure hardness as a good soldier. Father, I thank you for that. And I, I believe that we are your sheep. We hear your voice and we will do what you tell us to do. And Father, we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.